This week, as I was preparing what I was going to talk about this morning, I kind of hit a bit of a writer's block. And so I went on Facebook and I put a post on there asking for people to share their most favorite, their most meaningful verses from the Bible. And you guys did not disappoint. Uh, there was tons of examples and people explaining why they were their favorite verses. And I just want to read off a couple of the responses that we got. Um, on Thursday, Rhonda shared Luke 8:50, and it just simply says, don't be afraid, just believe. I thought that was good. Uh, my old friend Canton shared Colossians 3:11, which says, here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And then Kenton added liberal or conservative, which I thought was pretty good too. Uh, Bernie shared from Matthew 18, he, when Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Good stuff. You guys were on a roll. It was great. And then Chelsea said hers was Proverbs 27, 14. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Uh, which made me laugh probably louder than it should have, and I'm guessing that Chelsea is probably not a morning person. And then Mark Stevenson shared a really good one from Isaiah 43.2. It said this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will set you ablaze. Now, let's be honest. This verse should probably be on a big sign as you drive down Highway 63 into Fort McMurray. We know a thing or two about how to survive and thrive during floods and fires. Uh, what maybe something we could add to that scripture is when you wash your hands, COVID won't touch you. Just a suggestion. For me, one of my favorite verses that I didn't share on Facebook is Exodus 4.12. Uh, God is telling Moses to go and to help his people. And Moses is kind of arguing with God, giving God all these excuses and talking about his weaknesses. And God just stops him and says, now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. Basically, God told Moses, quit complaining and do what I told you to do. It's a kick in the pants. It's great. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, one of the Bible's most famous verses is one written by John. Now, there were many authors of the New Testament and Old Testament. There was many people who, who wrote the Bible, and they all had different writing styles. Luke, who, who wrote the book of Luke, um, wrote in a very matter-of-fact way. Uh, Peter couldn't write at all, so he dictated his stories to a guy named Mark. And Peter's writing stories were all action-oriented. Uh, Matthew was extremely thorough in his writing. He would often refer to the Old Testament to make his case. And then there was Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and helped us better understand Jesus, even if he did use more than a few run-on sentences to do it. But John... John had a way of capturing the story and making you feel it deep within your bones. He's the guy who coined the phrase, God is love. And he's the one who said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He kind of had this poetic sense to the way he wrote. Uh, he also wrote the book of Revelations, 
But that's a can of worms that you and I can open maybe another time. John is credited with writing probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and it may be one of the most fav- famous quotes in all of literature ever. Uh, he wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And even if you've never opened a Bible before, even if you've never stepped foot in a church before, there is a good chance you've heard part of this verse in your life. Uh, if you're a '90s kids like me, uh, if you're a '90s kids like me, you you might remember uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin butchering this verse on live TV. And if you're a Christian, this idea, this verse, it seems so simple, but that's probably because we've had 2,000 years to figure out what it means. In the first century world, this verse, this idea was considered dangerous. It was considered heresy, and it was scandalous. And today, I want to talk about why. Now, before John penned this famous verse, he was actually in the middle of telling us a story about a conversation that Jesus had with a Pharisee. Let's start there, in John 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and sometimes in church we use Pharisee as kind of a bad word. Uh, and that is not totally fair. Um, the Pharisees were the religious experts in Jesus' day, and they were the ones who read the scriptures and guided the people and how they should live. And the truth is they got a lot right But they also got a lot wrong. And Jesus spent a lot of his time trying to correct what they got wrong. And this is what eventually created the tension that led to this group of people having Jesus arrested and executed. He was too much of a threat to their power and their way of life. Now, much of what Jesus taught would be offensive to a guy like Nicodemus. But instead of getting defensive, Nicodemus sought understanding. And that's kind of a novel idea, one that many of us could apply to the debates that we get in on Facebook. Seek understanding, not offense. Uh, It's not totally clear why Nicodemus chose to come and meet Jesus at night. It's very possible that that's the only time of day that he could make it work. Um, But I sort of suspect that Nicodemus chose to meet Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to know about the meeting. He didn't want his peers to know that he was meeting with this rebel who was causing them so much trouble. So, John tells us, he came to Jesus at night and said... Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, good old Nick starts off here with some classic flattery. Uh, Hey, Jesus, you're looking good. Are those new sandals? Uh, A little bit of small talk to get the conversation going, but Jesus wasn't much into small talk. And that's why his next words seem so Uh, out of place. Jesus just launches into the conversation. He replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay, 
right off the bat, things are getting heated. And Nicodemus does not like this answer. He totally doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. And he's thinking to himself that Jesus is wrong. And so he says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, on the surface, Nicodemus this statement seems really quite absurd. Obviously, Jesus isn't suggesting some sort of weird second physical birth. And whatever you do, don't go down the road of what that implications of that are. Uh, it, but his statement wasn't totally as absurd as it sounds. See, Nicodemus and the other religious leaders like him taught that it was by birth that people would be welcomed into God's kingdom. They taught by, that by just being a son of Abraham, by being born into the right family, by being born into a Jewish home, was a guarantee of being in good standing with their creator. Being born into the right family was enough, and everything past that was just details. And Jesus telling Nicodemus that we must be born again is pushing back against that idea. It would have been considered heresy, and at the very least, this was a very scandalous idea. Jesus doubles down on his point, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Listen. This is what Jesus is saying. Listen. Nicodemus, being born into the right family, it's not the point. That's, that's just luck. It's not enough. You are not just a physical being. You are a spiritual being as well. And it's not a physical birth I'm talking about. It's a spiritual one. And Nicodemus, he's a smart guy. He's a Pharisee, an expert, but he's still not getting it. And he says, how can this be? Now, Jesus goes on to lecture him a little bit here, basically saying that as a religious leader, Nicodemus should know better. Uh, and if he wants to understand, he's got to listen to the, what Jesus is saying. He's got to take the words that are coming out of his mouth and apply them to his life. He has to hear and believe Jesus. And then Jesus says something that might be kind of lost on some of us, but it would have been crystal clear to Nicodemus what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life like him, or eternal life in him. Now, I got to ask, what does a snake have to do with any of this? I hate snakes. Snakes are gross, and I'm not even going to pretend that I'm brave when it comes to snake Snakes. One time I was at my mother-in-law's and father-in-law's place in Arkansas and I was going out to the pool carrying baby justice with me and at the pool there was a snake wrapped around the ladder and I'm telling you guys I shrieked like a little kid playing Fortnite. I, I was embarrassing. And Miss Terry ran out of the house thinking someone was hurt or, or, or worse. And she sees me and I just point at the snake and she rolls her eyes at me. She grabs the hole leaning up against the side of the house and she chops that snake up, saving the day. 
And I'm a little embarrassed at this point, and she hands me the hoe as she's walking away, and she says, there, you're safe now. Yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing. But what Jesus is referring to, this story of snakes, actually comes from the Old Testament, which Nicodemus would have known. The people of Israel, they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're getting bit by poisonous snakes, and people are getting sick, and people are dying. And so God tells Moses to do something kind of weird. He tells Moses, tells Moses to take a stick, a big pole, wrap a snake around it, and put it on a hill where everyone can see it. And he does this. He wraps a snake around a pole, puts it on the ground where everyone can see it, and then everyone who looks upon this pole is healed. And then they're healed of their snake bites, and people stop dying. It's this incredible story of God saving his people. Now, you might not know that story. It's kind of a little story hidden in the Old Testament. But you've certainly seen remnants around in your everyday life. Uh, if you've ever looked at an ambulance or uh, the shoulder of a paramedic, you'll see this symbol, a snake, wrapped around a stick. And that is a callback to this story of healing. Now, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, remember this story, the, the snake on the stick. Remember what happened. People looked upon it and they were healed. They were saved. Remember that people had to see this thing lifted up in the air, look upon it and be saved. For you to be saved, Nicodemus, that needs to happen again. The Son of God, the one that God has sent, must be lifted up too. And those who look upon him and believe in him will discover what it means to be born again. Jesus was making a way in the wilderness. Now, there's something about this story that I think is important for us to remember. That John is writing this story a long time after it happened. Uh, by the time that he writes down this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, he actually knows what Jesus is talking about. He saw Jesus lifted up on a tree. He saw him give his life for all mankind. He witnessed the pain and the brutality and the hurt of it all. He saw his friend die on a wooden cross, surrounded by a bloodthirsty mob. And he looked in the eyes of his resurrected friend, his Savior. See, when John is writing this story, he knows the end of the story. And so when John wrote down, or when John sat down to write down this, this account of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, when he gets to this part in the story, he just can't help himself anymore. He has to put a little editorial comment in. He, he has to skip ahead. He has to tell the readers what happens. What does Jesus mean with this crazy conversation? And he can't contain the glorious truth in, any longer. And so he interrupts his story and tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
the Son of Man was lifted up so you and I and John and Nicodemus can look upon him and discover life and discover hope and discover healing and discover wholeness. Now, John doesn't tell us exactly what Nicodemus did at the end of this conversation. He doesn't tell us if Nicodemus left convinced. Uh, did he change his mind? Did he believe what Jesus was telling him? These were hard things that Jesus was saying. Nicodemus had much to lose if he decided to follow Jesus. But later, in John's account of the death of Jesus, he says one small thing that speaks volumes about this story. John tells us, that it was Nicodemus who was there to take Jesus' mangled body down off the cross. John tells us that it was Nicodemus who was there to clean his body, anoint him with oils and perfumes. And it was Nicodemus who laid Jesus in the tomb. Nicodemus was no longer hiding his friendship with Jesus in the dark of night. Nicodemus had seen the Son of Man lifted up in the wilderness. And he had discovered the healing and the wholeness that comes from believing that Jesus did it for him. For God so loved the world. For God so loved us. For God so loved you. Now, today, maybe you're like this Nicodemus at the start of the story. You're here with questions, with doubts. How can this be true? How can God be real? How can he even know about me? And even crazier, how can he even care or love me? I've made so many mistakes in my life. How, I'm unlovable. And you're watching today and you know that you need something. You're watching today and I want you to know this. He sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you. And he did all the things that he did for you. This morning, I'm going to invite you to do something with me. I'm going to invite you to look up towards Jesus and to believe in him, to choose to follow him, to say, I don't know all the things. I don't know where this is going. But today, I choose to believe in the world-altering, ground-shaking, scandalous love of Jesus. I'm going to pray. And if you want, if you can, I'd like you to pray these words with me. If you want to decide to believe in Jesus today and accept his gift of wholeness, of eternal life. Pray with me now. Jesus, I have my doubts. I don't know all of the things. There is so much I don't understand. But today, I choose to believe in you, to accept your gift of eternal life, and to discover the wholeness that only you can give. Amen. This morning, 
if you prayed this prayer with me or if you prayed some version of it, I, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear about, what, about why you chose to pray and, and, and what it means to you today. And, and you could send me a message or if you're really brave, you could even comment right now in the comment sections. You could put a little heart or you could even just be say, I prayed. We, we would love to, to hear if God is working in your, in your heart right now. And Jesus told us that heaven erupts in joy and celebration when even just one person believes. And I gotta be honest, I would love to join in heaven celebrating for you right now if, if that is you. Now, in two weeks, we are gonna have a baptism service right here in this room. People who have decided to follow Jesus are going to follow in the footsteps of thousands of Christians before them and get dunked in water as a declaration of their belief in Jesus, as a declaration, a public announcement that they are following Jesus. And if that is you, if, if you prayed this morning, or if maybe you prayed 20 years ago, if you want to get baptized, that is the next step for you in your faith. And so if that's you, reach out, let me know, send us a message. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to kick off our in-person services on September 13th with a whole bunch of baptisms. We've already got people signed up, but there's room for more. And as we close today, you know, the band is going to come back and they're going to lead us in kind of one last song, one moment of worship. And they're going to sing a song that's called The Scandal of Grace. And I want you to take a moment, set aside any distractions, as, as many distractions as you can get rid of. I mean, if your kids are there, do your best. But we're together at home. And I want you to let these words speak to you in a new way today about the scandalous love of Jesus. The words are, too much to make sense of it all, but I know that your love breaks my fall. The scandal of grace, you died in my place, so my soul will live.